Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. I do not remember a lot of my dreams, and I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because I sleep really, really hard. (laughs) Just not sure. But when I do remember a part of one, there are many times when it's the same scenario. I can be in a number of different settings, but the scenario always seems to be the same. I go try to talk, and I can't work my mouth very well. (laughs) I try to get words out and I can't form the words. It's just uh, like my mouth is really heavy or something. And it's very frustrating, especially if I'm trying to tell someone in my dream something of real great importance, (laughs) which seems to be the case oftentimes. In a way, this is very this is the very thing that's that's happening in reality right now there are millions of people that are being stifled and not allowed to talk or say what they want because of censorship there was a time when most americans got their news from uh, a radio program or the evening news i can still remember and this is dating me a little bit but i can still remember watching walter cronkite on the evening national news. The reason most people you know, don't get their news today this way is because national news outlets stop reporting the news. The news anchor who replaced Cronkite was a man by the name of Dan Rather. And this, this is the same Dan Rather that was found to just make up stories about even then President Bush. They were, they were not true at all. But it made for higher ratings and it pushed a certain narrative. Instead of doing the work of an investigative reporter, uh, news staffers uh, would just look at what was on the AP or look at what Reuters was putting out and and copy and paste that. The the news eventually morphed into a couple things. Number one, it, it became more about the entertainment rather than than reporting on actual facts. A high percentage of what they call news now uh, is invented by them. The the news poll is something that they pay for and conduct and then report on. So they're they're making their own news. For for example, uh, from a few weeks ago, President Biden's popularity dropped to its lowest point yet in a CBS News YouGov poll out uh, la- basically a week last Sunday. With just 42% of Americans approving of Biden's performance, while 58% disapprove. Biden's approval rating is low across the board, they say, including among demographic groups that generally support Democrats, including racial minorities and young people. People under age 30 gave Biden a resounding thumbs down with 57% saying they disapprove and just 43% saying they approve of the president's performance. 
a 50, uh, 54% majority of Hispanics and 33% of African Americans said they disapprove of Biden. And 22% of people who voted for Biden in 2020 also disapprove. You, you know, you know where I got this from? It was the New York Post. So one media outlet pays for and conducts a poll, then makes it their news story, and then other outlets pick it up and make it their story. Yeah, that's kind of the way it works today. It's not news. It is made-up stories bought and paid for by themselves. They also pay to get the story to, to fit their narrative as well. Only a few days later, a poll came out from an independent nonpartisan college that they had they had things looking a lot worse for Biden. A, a new uh, Quinnipiac uh, poll showed that only 26% of Hispanics, get that, 26% of Hispanics uh, voters approved of Biden's job performance, standing significantly lower than the president's 31% of white and 63% of black approval rating. A staggering 41% of Hispanic voters said they strongly disapprove of the president's job handling, while only 12% of the respondents said that they strongly approve. That leads us into the other thing that the major media has morphed into, and that is just simply an arm of the liberal Democratic Party. That's really what they are now. Everything that they cover has a certain bent or narrative. It, it has to fit that narrative or it won't be covered at all. It is stunning what you can find out by, by just reading news stories from, let's say, the UK, for example. You know, if you, if you read something from Britain, not, not that they don't have their own problems too. They do. But they at least will cover things that the American liberal media won't cover. So why has this all happened to the mainstream media? Well, first of all, the vast number of people working for news organizations are leftist liberals. That's just, that's just the way it is. In, in, a, in a 2014 poll, just 7% of all journalists polled were Republicans. Yes, 7% were Republicans. When, when, you, when you put leftists in positions where they think that they have power and influence to, to change society, they're going to abandon all ethics and do whatever it takes to see their end goal. This means for the national news outlets that they have a liberal narrative and anything that promotes that very thing, you know, the, the things that, that, they, that they like, well, that gets full coverage. In, in, in glowing terms. But but anything that doesn't meet their liking, well, they go after that like rabid dogs or just simply ignore it, one of the two. For, for these reasons, many people turned to other sources for their news and the ability to express their opinions. Pew Research released a study back in January of last year showing that that 71% of Americans now get news content via social platforms. For many, they were already on Facebook. They were already on Instagram and maybe even Twitter. 
anyway, it, it, it is so convenient for them just to get their news there too. The, the other reason was that you, you can go right to the source many times. President Trump, for instance, would tweet several times a day and, and you could get that immediately, for example. This was, this was a major concern for leftists because they no longer controlled what you saw and, and digested as, as facts and as news. They, they no longer controlled the narrative. So what did they do? Well, they controlled social media. For example, the New York Post came out with a story on Joe Biden's son. The story detailed a laptop of Hunter Biden's that had been left at a repair shop and, and never picked up. We, we covered this right here on this very podcast. There, there was more than, than just pics and videos of Hunter's sex and drug binges on there. There was quite a bit of information on his business dealings that can be considered pay-to-play scenarios. The, the, the Bidens were selling their influence because of Joe Biden's position as vice president to those that would pay big bucks. This is something that might have been very good to know going into a presidential election with Joe Biden as a Democratic nominee, right? In fact, in a recent study, 16% of those that were polled and voted for Biden said they would not have done so if they knew about the story. But why did they not know about the story? Because it was banned from social media and not covered on national news outlets. This is from the New York Post, the very New York Post we were just talking about from May of this year, now that the story is known to be true, right? We know that it was Hunter's laptop. We know that's a fact now. They say, everlasting, undying, soul-rendering shame be upon you. (laughs) Facebook and Twitter and Politico and all the others who covered up, denied, and suppressed this newspaper's true and accurate reporting about Hunter Biden's laptop in 2020. You should be hurling yourselves at the feet of the American people, begging for forgiveness. You should be renting billboards saying, we lied. But most importantly, you should be hauled before Congress to answer humiliating questions. These and other information purveyors owe us, not just this paper, but this country, restitution for what now looks like the most egregious and willful fake news scam of our time. This paper's scoops on Hunter Biden's laptop in 2020 were labeled Russian disinformation by Politico, a hoax by Stephen Brill of fact-check site NewsGuard, discredited by many, many red flags by NPR, and a hack-and-leak operation that had to be throttled by Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg. Now that the New York Times finally admits that the Hunter Biden laptop story is true, it's time for everyone involved in suppressing it to be held accountable. The New York Post had its Twitter account disabled 
for reporting on the completely accurate Hunter Biden laptop story. It was infamously snuffed out on Twitter and was the the the, the post Twitter account because of a policy about hacking materials that only seemed to be to apply to this one case. Twitter didn't bar the New York Times stories about Donald Trump's tax returns, which could have come from hack materials for all they know, and also certainly were the product of a criminal act, leaking tax returns is against the law. But the Times never even told us how it got its returns, so we don't know. The Post acted with transparency in explaining to readers how it got the laptop from hell. (laughs) Moreover, nobody on Team Biden denied the Post report because they knew or suspected it was true. Every news outlet in the country should have fronted the story at that point. Biden team refuses to deny Hunter Biden's laptop story. A few months later, Hunter himself said the laptop certainly could be his, and the media shrugged instead and, 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 and didn't apologize. Even in the presidential debate where the matter came up, Joe Biden's comments were not a denial, but simply a deflection. And everybody who reported that he denied the laptop story was guilty of propagating fake news all over again. What he actually said was, quote, there are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. Five former heads of CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except his good friend Rudy Giuliani, unquote. Joe, who later said, yes, 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 when a reporter asked him if he believed the laptop was Russian disinformation. The question allowed him all the wiggle room in the world. Pointedly, he wasn't denying the laptop belonged to Hunter and wasn't denying the material on it was genuine. He was simply referring to the now infamous political whitewash of October 19th, 2020, which was fake news about fake news. (laughs) The headline Hunter Biden story is Russian disinformation. Dozens of former intelligence officials say don't even Um, accurately relate what the story was. Those officials simply said they were suspicious about Russian involvement, admitted that they had no evidence of this, and pointed out, this was buried in the 10th paragraph of the political story, we want to emphasize that we do not know if the emails are genuine or not, unquote. In other words, The notorious liar, James Clapper et al., as far as I can tell, every signatory who made his opinion known about the election was a Biden supporter, were simply peeing in the dark. Their rank speculation was unworthy of being published. Yet, Politico's fake headline on this piece of partisan fan fiction gave the media and its Democratic Party enforcers all the cover they needed to treat the whole story like it was a ruse planted by Vladimir Putin. Say, geniuses, 
if Putin had simply fabricated the whole thing, don't you think Hunter Biden would have said, that's not my stuff? And wouldn't Putin have planted material that would have nuked Joe Biden's presidential aspirations rather than merely raising questions about his son's dealings? All Jen Psaki had to do was retweet Politico's bullspit headlines. Who reads beyond headlines? The, the Times and, and, and other major papers simply ignored the substance of the post scoop. And now their readers know, or rather they just have been re-re-re-reminded that, that their Democratic Party cheerleaders who even allow presidential candidates to dictate t- details of how and what gets covered. The next time they, quote, fact check, the next time they cry wolf, who will believe them? You see, the liberal narrative was that Donald Trump had to lose the election. So when facts came to light that that went against the narrative, well, <laughs> they had to be squashed. Social media censorship went into high gear and started banning everything that that could that would keep the story from coming out before the election. Since then, social media has become the same arm of the liberal Democratic Party that the old national news media turned into. They they are no longer platforms of free speech. We have done a number of episodes uh, of this podcast calling for changes in the laws that, that govern social media companies. They should not have governmental in, in, uh, immunity against lawsuits. They, they claimed and, and received this because they said that they were platforms for, for free speech, that they could not be held accountable for what users placed on their sites. They're just there you know, to, for people to place whatever they want. But that's not true because they ban and censor a lot of things and are not free speech platforms at all. Liberals can never win in the area of ideas. And, and this, is, this is really key, I think, because, because liberals just can't win in, in the arena of ideas. When, when you place arguments head-to-head and, and logically compare liberal and conservative ideas, the conservative side will make sense and win every time. The only weapon that the left has is to squash and limit free speech and thus not compare those ideas. They do it in in the name of hate speech and disinformation. But it is all the same. Block whatever you don't like and only allow those things that you do like to be heard. This podcast is not on Twitter for, for many reasons. One of those reasons is that we would be banned even if even if we did have an account. But another is that we all are about discussion here. We love to foster open and honest conversations about ideas. We ch- we challenge even the idea that there are topics like religion and politics that you're not supposed to talk about. So so we do. When it comes to social media platforms like Twitter, well, they only want one side of the conversation to be heard. And 
and, and, and one side that they want to be heard is the one that they espouse. This has, has never been so obvious than in the last week when Elon Musk purchased a majority stake in Twitter for almost $3 billion, yeah, $3 billion. Yes. That's what I said. And, and promised that there would be changes uh, from that point on, because he, he became the, the majority stakeholder uh, at that point. A day after becoming that majority stakeholder, um, and Musk tweeted out this, he said, quote, given that Twitter serves as the de facto public town square, failing to adhere to free speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy. And he's right. Here's, here's an article from Hugh Hewitt back uh, April 6th of this year from the Washington Post. He's, it was entitled, uh, Elon Musk Gets What's Wrong with Twitter, Does Media. It says the news that Elon Musk bought a stake in Twitter and joined the company's board is a very big deal. First movers have a huge advantage in almost every area of life. Uh, examples abound, uh, but my favorite actually bounded uh, Dick Fosbury, uh, who uh, stunned the 1968 Moscow City uh, Olympics and uh, revolutionized high jumping with the Fosbury flop technique. In my own world of radio, I like to remind everyone that Rush Limbaugh built the mall and the rest of us are, are just tenants here. <laughs> well, no one would be syndicated across hundreds of channels if Limbaugh didn't provide proof of concept to radio station owners. When Twitter arrived on the scene, it, it almost uh, obliterated blogging overnight. It, it quickly became um, a, a, a preserve of journalists and then of influencers and it, uh, evolved from there into a deep blue universe with some red comments circling through it. <laughs> While Twitter remains a great place for sports chatter and breaking news, some conservatives believe the platform has slid so far to the left on politics that it's now branded in the same precarious place as most cable and network news outlets left of left. <laughs> That's fine for outlets if they want half of the country not to give them a chance, but it's a disaster for audiences and user growth. Twitter has evolved into a predominantly woke echo chamber ruled by content moderators who banned President Donald Trump, but not, for example, uh, Iran's despot um, Khomeini, who has the, the blood of hundreds of innocents on his hands, including U.S. soldiers and Marines who are the victims of his terrorists operating as the Revolutionary Guard Corps. Meanwhile, so many conservatives run afoul of Twitter's rules that it's hard to keep up. Most recently, center-right voices commenting on, on debates about gender have to wonder whether their banishment is near. 
Whatever one thinks about those issues, there is simply no right way to argue about them. But Twitter has decreed otherwise. The Federalist Editor-in-Chief, Molly Hemingway, recently uh, summarized the uh, consensus on the right about social media generally, and, and Twitter especially, by saying, quote, you cannot possibly have been alive in the last five years and think that social media companies do anything other than amplify left-wing insanity and crush anything from the right that hurts the left, unquote. So the conservative view on Twitter is fixed. Could it be changed? Does Twitter want to do it? Privately held companies don't have to worry as much about alienating millions of potential users. It is up to their owners to be woke or not. But publicly traded companies have stockholders who grant growth and profits. There are limits to the profit motive, of course, as companies dealing with Russia or making a buck off of uh, you know, the, the Uyghur uh, slave labor uh, ha- have discovered. But there is no consensus on many of the domestic hot-button issues of the day, and none can be enforced by the government thanks to the First Amendment. Musk's arrival in, in Twitter's boardroom promises to breach head for, for common sense about the diversity of opinion in America and, and and how the company's disdain for debate has been about the same odor of, of Putin's state-owned media. Musk has figured this out. He has also figured out that this big stake in the company would instantly increase its value and thus the value of his investment. Users loved the old Twitter. The woke Twitter, eh, not so much. Executives at Twitter seeing the, the market's reaction to must rival must realize that they have lost the thread. Users didn't want a nanny state imposed from Twitter's San Francisco headquarters. Investors certainly didn't want the company to cocoon itself in the blue bubble. Musk is a Twitter's door with a wake-up call. Now, who will do the same for the rest of the country's purveyors of news and opinion? But Musk did not stop there. He took it a step further. He made an offer of over $41 billion to buy the company outright and make it a private company instead of a public one. The reaction of the left has been has actually been pretty predictable, if you ask me. They're just simply going nuts. <laughs> That's what they're doing. They, they, they can't have Twitter becoming a free speech platform. That would ruin everything. So liberals are doing everything they can to fight this, this takeover of Twitter. From the Daily Wire, it says, As Twitter desperately tries to fend off the hostile takeover bid, Elon Musk could be facing another potential battle with the federal government with both the Securities and the Exchange Commission, SEC, and the Department of Justice reportedly poised to launch an investigation targeting him. News of potential looming federal probes of Musk, who has previously 
clashed with the FCC over his ownership of carmaker Tesla came in a Wednesday report from uh, from Fox News uh, Network, and it has not uh, it was not clear whether the agencies are looking into Musk's handling of Tesla, his forty one billion dollar bid um, to take over Twitter and make it private, or both. Not only that, but Twitter's board of directors have voted to institute what what they call the poison pill in an attempt to prevent Musk from owning the company. And we're going to see here very soon what happens uh, with, with Musk and Twitter. But all of this is because we can't have free speech in this country and have liberals stay in power. That's just not, those two things don't go together. This would be a threat to democracy, they say. They say this would be the threat. I say that it would be a threat to their democracy. How can free speech be a threat to democracy? Wherever socialists and dictators take over a society, free speech is one of the very first things that, that has to go because it is a threat to their power. That is why our founding fathers made it a a right guaranteed in our constitution. It's that important. And I think we're going to see just what happens here with Twitter and with Musk and, 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 and really free speech on the line when it comes to social media. You may agree with me. You may completely disagree with me. And I would love to have that conversation with you. Of course, you can always do that on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on MeWe. We're on Instagram. And you can always go to uncommonsensepodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.